When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down to the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made golden calves. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before them. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to pray. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down. For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Will, 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 why should the Egyptians say, we evil in debt, in, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains to and to consume them from the face of the earth turn your burning anger and and relent and relent from the disaster against your people remember abraham isaac and israel your servants so you have sworn by yourself and said to them, I, I will multiply your offspring at the, as the star of heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall in, inherit, inherit it forever. And the Lord relaxed from the disaster that he has spoken of the bringing uh, on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, He said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the the camp, 
he saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' Moses's anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf, which they had made, and burned it with fire, and ground it to powder, and scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. And for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. And they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came the calf. And then Moses saw that the people had broken loose. Had broken loose. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp, who is on, who is on the Lord's side. Come to me, and and all the sons of Levi gather around him. And he said to them, Thus says the God, the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, on your side, each of you, and go to, and go to the fro gate, fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you, each of you, kill his brothers and his companionship and his neighbors. And the sons of Levi did not, didn't, did according to the word of Moses, and that and that day about three thousand men of the people fell. And and Moses said, Today you have been order, ordained from the service of the Lord, each one at at the cost of his son and of his brothers, so so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, Please blot me out of the book that, that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But, but now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go, shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the days when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Don't have a calf. The point of the passage, don't have a calf. Now, the phrase don't have a calf has been around from as far back as the 1950s, but it really was popularized in the 1990s by a cartoon character named Bart Simpson. Now, I know there's more of you that knew that. You just didn't want to say it out loud. I don't want anybody to know I used to watch that. 
Yes, Bart Simpson used to say, I don't have a cow. It generally means don't overreact or, or calm down. But friends, reaction is exactly what is necessary in this passage. Moses has been on the mountain for 40 days receiving the law. And the text tells us that the people, just like you and I, grew impatient. They grew impatient on the Lord's timing, just like we do. Friends, when God does not answer in our timing, and when He doesn't answer in the way we want, we are in danger of taking things like they did into our own hands. We're in danger of having a cow, of idolatry. Again, listen again to verse 1. When the people saw Moses was delayed to come down from the mountain, they gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know. We don't know what's become of him. Friends, what do we see here? We see a reminder that the people have been taken out of Egypt, but Egypt has yet to be taken out of the people. The people have been taken out of Egypt, but Egypt has yet to have been taken out of the people because idolatry still lives in their hearts. First, we see that they're in danger of worshiping a human leader. I mean, did you hear what they said about Moses here? This man, Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Friends, Moses didn't bring them out of Egypt. The Lord brought them out of Egypt. Friends, we all stand in danger of making an idol of our human leaders. Now, for Israel, remember, for over 400 years, they were in Egypt. And Pharaoh was the chief deity of the Egyptian pantheon. So, for 400 years, they were amongst people who worshipped a human idol. And it seems that they were in danger of worshiping Moses. Well, that idol's gone. We don't know what happened to him. We need another idol. And friends, what happened with Israel and Moses happened later on with other Israelite leaders, happened later on with the kings of Israel, and was still happening in the day of the early church. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 11, and said, It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? And then he continues just a couple chapters later in 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Paul was not crucified for you. You were not baptized into the name of Apollos. And Moses did not bring the people out of Egypt. The Lord alone is Savior of His people. So what then is Paul? What is Apollos? What is Moses? Servants. Church, do not make an idol of any servant. We should only worship the Savior. Don't worship a servant. We need to worship the Savior. And this is dangerous because we live in an age of the cult of personality. 
I mean, the truth is, we have given almost divine authority to our favorite commentators, to our favorite media personalities, to our favorite political figures, to our favorite social activists, to our favorite religious persons. And church, we need to be careful not to have a cow. We need to be conscious about not making any human leader into an idol. I mean, if you hold more highly to the words of your favorite commentator than the words of the Lord, then you have a cow. If you know and trust the policies of your favorite politician or political party more than the plans of the Lord, then you have a cow. If you are more influenced by the philosophies of a social movement than by the words of Scripture, you have a cow. And friends, if you're tempted to skip the worship gathering on Sundays, you know that Pastor Adam's on vacation and somebody else is going to be speaking, then you might have a cow. Church, don't have a cow. Do not make any human leader into an idol. The Lord has removed His people from Egypt, but it's clear that Egypt still has yet to be removed from them. And it's all the more made clear because their idolatry didn't end with Moses. In the absence of Moses, they built actual idols. And where did the idea for this golden calf come from? Well, Egypt worshipped a whole bunch of gods, and many of them were looked like bulls or had the head of bulls, but the ultimate in bovine worship was likely Apis, the Apis bull, a manifestation of Ptah, the creator god. Because again, the people have been removed from Egypt. But Egypt is still alive in them. And it's unclear what Aaron's intention was in making this cow. Was he creating another god? A god to worship alongside Yahweh who delivered them? Or was he creating an image of Yahweh as a bull? And the text is unclear as to Aaron's intentions and his actions. But what is clear is that either action was a violation of the Lord's covenant. The first word that the Lord spoke from Mount Sinai was, You shall have no other gods before me. And the second word was, You shall not make yourself a carved image. So either way, by having this cow, Israel turned away from the Lord and had turned towards idols. You know, this is what the the deacon, Stephen, declared before the religious council in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 39. He said, Our fathers refused to obey Moses, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Friends, in their hearts, they'd return to Egypt. They'd return to Egypt. Now they had a cow, so they didn't need the Lord. And friends, following idols like this always leads us in a bad direction. It always leads to greater and greater debauchery. I mean, look at, look at the progression here. In, in verse 4, Exodus 32, 4, it says, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Well, that's a violation of the ninth word, you shall not bear false witness, because Israel knew these gods didn't bring them up out of Egypt. Verse 5, 
When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Well, that's arguably a violation of the third word. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, because Aaron is putting the Lord's name on worship that the Lord never commanded or sanctioned. And then verse 6, they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Rose up to play. What do you think they were playing? Soccer? Ultimate Frisbee? Checkers? The worship of pagan deities often included sexual acts and great orgies. Israel rose up to play. A violation of the seventh word, you shall not commit adultery. How quickly things have gone downhill. This entire account serves as a stern warning to us today, church. Don't have a cow. You know, the Apostle Paul picked up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 6. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Church, what happened to Israel is recorded for us so that we today might not make the same mistake and turn to idols as they did. And I know you're sitting there thinking, hey, Adam, Adam, hold on, hold on. I've never been tempted to worship a golden bovine statue. And, you know, the truth is, you know, I have some vices, but one of them is not the worship of golden cows. And I'm certain that's true of most of us. However, if worshiping cows is your problem, I just have to say that that's an utter shame and it's time to move on from it. Oh, I, I thought I'd try that. But church, this is a warning for us today because there are many ways that you and I might have a cow. There are many idols, the worship of which might tempt you and I away from the Lord. Consider what Pastor Tim Keller said in his excellent book, Counterfeit Gods. Keller defines idols this way. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and you say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. And isn't that what Israel did with this golden calf? They claimed to be uncertain about this Moses and, and the Lord, so they had a cow so that they could find certainty and security and meaning. Keller goes on to explain, he says, an idol is something we can't live without. We must have it. And it drives us to break rules that we once honored and to harm others, even ourselves, in order to get it. And didn't pursuing this idol, this golden calf, cause Israel to break rules? Israel had heard the ten words, the ten commandments spoken by the Lord from Mount Sinai. They'd heard them all with their own ears. They knew them. They knew the rules, but... Church, 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 this is a warning to us. Don't have a cow. And while we may not be tempted to the worship of golden calf statues, we are tempted by other idols. 
using, for example, some of Keller's categories, if you want to identify an idol in your heart, church, you want to identify what your idols are, try completing this sentence. Life only has meaning if. Or I only have worth if. For example, if you complete, life only has meaning if I have power and influence over people, then your idol is power, success, winning, influence. And if that's so, your greatest fear is going to be humiliation that others might be better. They might be smarter. They might be more successful. And an emotion you might struggle with is anger. Anger that you're not in control of others or the situation. Anger that, anger that other people might show you up or somehow sur- surpass you. And, and anger is not the only, or power is not the only idol that we might struggle with. If you finish the statement, I only have worth if I am loved and respected by fill in the blank. I only have worth if I'm loved and accepted. And, and respected by these people or this group, then you have an approval idolatry. Your greatest fear will be rejection of not being loved and not being approved of and accepted by this person or by that group. I mean, nowadays, service to that idol might actually look like trying not to be canceled by the culture. You know, as I drove my kids to school the other day, I was talking with my children, and I brought up the current controversy over comedian Dave Chappelle's Netflix special, and how some are trying to get him canceled because he made the controversial statement that women are women, and biology is inescapable. And one of my kids made a comment to me about eventually getting in trouble because I have and continue to make such controversial statements. And I responded, I said, the day's going to come when, yes, yes, they're going to try to cancel me, I have no doubt. And I'm going to be called all kinds of names and all kinds of things are going to be said about me. But friends, you and I have to decide which God am I going to serve? Which God are you going to serve? The true God who created us distinctly, immutably, and beautifully as male and female? Or am I going to worship the golden calf of a fickle and a confused culture? Who will you worship? And if you struggle with approval, idolatry, the emotion you're going to find yourself struggling with most often is cowardice. Silence when you should speak. Speaking when you should be silent. Anything to ensure your acceptance by that person or by that group that you've come to idolize and to lift up. Friends, there's power idolatry. There's approval idolatry, but there's also comfort idolatry. If you complete the sentence, life only has meaning if I have this kind of experience or this quality of life, that's a comfort idolatry. Your your greatest fear might be stress or demands or commitments. I just need to not have stress. I just need to not have commitments. I just need to have my freedom. You know, freedom to do me. Freedom to be me, regardless of its effect on others. You know, the emotions you might find yourself struggling with might be boredom or irritation. You might struggle with commitment to persons or relationships or commitments because you get bored with them and you want to be off to do the latest and the new thing. You might be irritated that other people and other persons and commitments put demands on you and restrict your freedom. That's a comfort idolatry. And finally, it might be a control idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I'm able to get mastery over my life in this way, fill in the blank. 
It's a control. I only have worth if I'm self-disciplined, if I live up to these standards. And your greatest fear is probably uncertainty. I don't know if I measure up. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can do it. And you're likely going to struggle with worry. Worry about being enough or doing enough. Friends, there's all kinds of idolatries to which we might be tempted. Power, approval, comfort, control. These are four prevalent ones, but friends, idols come in all shapes and sizes. Some now might today might be worshipping at the idol of safety, which tempts many, foregoing good that we should do because we're afraid. Or, or the idol of identity. I'm not defined or constrained by God, biology, reality, what I desire, who I desire, what I feel. That's my golden calf, and others got to worship there with me. Or religion can become an idol. I have worth because I'm this type of person and not that type of person. I believe these things and I don't believe those things. I participate in these religious practices, but I don't participate in these irreligious practices. Friends, religious practice is not bad in and of itself, but it's a means to an end. Worship and obedience is meant to lead us to the Lord, but when it becomes the end, it becomes an idol. Friends, there are so many idols that our hearts might be drawn after. And I bet every one of us here can identify at least one idol. One way we're tempted to worship. We look to these idols to give us security or worth. So we bend God's rules so we can serve the idols. But friends, ultimately, it leads to destruction. As we sang this morning, I once was lost in darkest night and I thought I knew the way because the sin, the idols that promised me joy in life had led me to the grave. Because, friends, idols promise us joy and life as did the cow that Israel worshipped. But as we see with ancient Israel, idols only lead to death. And that's what Israel deserved for idolatry. You know, the Lord sees what the people are doing, and in verse 7, what do we see Him do? He says to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You know, the Lord sounds like me, when I'm frustrated with my kids. And I say to Leah, go deal with your children who you gave birth to. The Lord says the Israelites are clearly not acting like my children, Moses. They must be your children. And verse 10 says the Lord's wrath burned hot against his people. Now, church, let's remember the wrath of God is not an irrational or capricious wrath like human wrath. It's the just response to sin. And Israel is not acting like the Lord's people. She has violated the Lord's covenant. And the Lord would be completely justified in destroying her. But Moses intercedes for the people in verses 11 through 13. And do you hear his two arguments? First, if you destroy your people, it's going to lessen your glory and your great name before the nations. And secondly, remember your covenant and your promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice what his arguments were not. He didn't say, hey, Lord, this was a pretty bad one. But don't you remember all the good times we've had together? You know, all the good times you've had with your people? He doesn't go, yeah, Lord, this was pretty bad. But overall, I mean, your, your people, they're, they're a pretty good bunch, aren't they? He doesn't say, yeah, yeah, this was bad, Lord, but just give them another chance. I'm sure they'll make it up to you. Friends, Moses doesn't appeal to who Israel is. He appeals to who the Lord is. 
Moses does not appeal to Israel's character. He appeals to the Lord's character. Because Moses knows that Israel's salvation does not depend upon their actions in the past or the future, but the Lord's mercy in the present. Hear that again. Israel's salvation does not depend upon her actions in the past or the future, but on the Lord's mercy in the present. And the same is true today. Church, your salvation does not depend upon your actions in the past or the future, but on the Lord's mercy in the present. This is the gospel, the good news. Forgiveness does not come as a result of who we are, but a result of who He is. It's not a result of our work. It's a result of Christ's work. As we often sing together, I dare not stand on my righteousness. My every hope rests on what Christ has done. I come by the blood. Our hope is not in us and our work, but the blood of Christ shed as payment for our sins, not in our past or our future, but the Lord's mercy to us in the present. And friends, where is your hope? Where is your hope today? And because of Moses' prayer, what do we find? The Lord relents from bringing disaster on His people. But friends, don't be lulled into complacency. The Lord has relented from bringing disaster upon all the people, but there are still consequences. There are consequences for Israel's actions. I mean, really, what we see here, Moses comes down the mountain in verses 15 through 20, and it's kind of like when your parents unexpectedly come home earlier than planned. And Moses descends the mountain. The camp is in chaos because the kids are throwing an out-of-control party and they've invited the whole neighborhood. And I imagine Moses' sidekick Joshua saying to him, Unholy cow, Moses! The old Batman show, you got that? Yeah, a few of you did. Okay. Moses has in his hand the two stone tablets. And written on them by the very finger of God, he's inscribed the covenant. What does Moses do? He throws them at the foot of the mountain and breaks them because symbolically that's what Israel's done. He comes down and she's broken the covenant. She's broken the covenant. And so Moses confronts the man left in charge, Aaron, and what does Aaron do? Friends, Aaron plays the victim. In verse 22, what does he do? He blames the people, their fault. And then in verse 24, he has the audacity to declare, verse 24, So I said to the people, let any who have gold take it off. They gave it to me. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Friends, I believe this excuse is preserved for us so we can hear just how lame the excuses that we make for our sins sound to God. Just how laughable are our excuses. It just happened. I didn't mean to. I was caught up in the moment. I just couldn't help it. And out came this calf. Friends, you are not a victim to your sin. You are not a victim to your sin. Do you want to know why you sin? I can tell you why each and every one of you here sins. It's because you want to. That's why I sin. We choose to. Our hearts lead us to idols. It leads us to have a cow. Something's become an idol. Something's become more attractive and desirable to our hearts than having or obeying the Lord. But you are not a victim 
to your sin any more than Aaron was a victim to the people, any more than the calf just jumped out of the fire. You are not a victim. But church, the good news, the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, we are not victims to sin, but in fact, in Christ, we are victorious over sin. We are not victims, but in Christ, we can now be victors. And how will we live? How will you live? Now Moses has got to turn. He's confronted Aaron. He's got to deal with the people. And I imagine the people begging Moses, don't have a cow about the fact that we have a cow. But Moses prepares a sacred cow barbecue. It's a sacred cow barbecue in verse 20. Moses took the calf they'd made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, made the people of Israel drink it. Barbecued, ground up, golden patty. Now going down, I'm sure the golden calf was not much fun. But friends, the real point of doing that came a little bit later. Because everything that goes in the mouth eventually comes out of the body. Hey Israel, you want to know what your idol really is? That idol you were worshipping 24 hours ago is now passing out of your digestive tract. What kind of a God is that, Israel? And friends, that's what needs to be done with every one of our idols. They need to be exposed for what they are. Power, approval, comfort, control, possession, sexual expression, self-seeking freedom. Whatever idol you're tempted to worship at, it's poop. It's destined to be destroyed. And friends, not only will all idols and all competing gods be destroyed, but those who cling to those gods will also be destroyed. I mean, we have this scene in verse 25 through 29 that's a horrible scene. It's horrendous. It didn't seem as horrendous being read by a cute little nine-year-old. But it's a horrendous scene. The Lord calls the people to repentance and He says, Who's on the Lord's side? Come to Me. And friends, the fact is, some must have refused to come to the Lord's side. We have a cow, and we'd rather cling to that cow than to the Lord. But friends, every idol is destined to be destroyed, and those who cling to idols will be destroyed with them. The slaying that we find that the Levites do as they move through camp was not some indiscriminate killing. It was most likely targeted targeted judgment upon the ringleaders, upon those who refused to repent. Those who refused to turn to the Lord and clung instead to their idols. Because, friends, the Lord graciously offers mercy to all who would return to Him. But the fact is, not all choose to return to Him. You know, if you're sick and a cure is offered and you refuse that cure then there's nothing left for you but sickness and death. And in the same way, if you refuse the Lord's mercy, His cure, the only thing that remains is judgment. And that's what we see in that passage. And friends, it's the same for us today. In Jesus Christ, the Lord has graciously offered us mercy. If in faith we trust in His work upon the cross and we follow Him as Savior and Lord then we are saved. But if we refuse that grace and mercy, if we don't repent, we're going to be destroyed along with the sin and the idols to which we cling. And so the invitation that Moses offered to the people then 
is the invitation, church, that Christ offers to us today. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Come to me. And have you come? And in verse 30, we hear Moses return to the Lord in an attempt to make atonement. Atone is from the Old English, and it means exactly what it says. Atone means to make at one. Atone at one. It's reconciling alienated parties by making amends, by satisfying the penalty so the offense is removed, the relationships restored, and the two parties are at one. It's atoned. The sin is atoned. And Moses returns to the Lord to ensure that the offense is removed and God's people are reconciled and at one again with the Lord. And to ensure their acceptance, do you hear what Moses offers? Verse 31 and 32. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not... Please blot me out of your book that you've written. Friends, this is beautiful. Moses says, take me. Take me and pardon them. I offer myself in their place. It's beautiful. But it's ultimately insufficient. Notice the Lord doesn't accept Moses' offer. Moses isn't a sufficient mediator. He's not a worthy sacrifice. Moses can't offer himself for Israel's sins because Moses has sins of his own which need to be atoned for. If there's ever going to be a sufficient sacrifice who can offer himself for someone else, it needs to be one who's sinless. It needs to be one who could offer himself to atone for another person because he himself does not have sin that needs to be atoned for. Friends, God's people need a better mediator than Moses. And the gospel, the good news, is that the Lord has sent a better mediator in His Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul celebrates this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. In Christ, He's reconciling alienated parties. He's fully satisfying the penalty so the offense can be removed. Sin is atoned for and the parties are at one again. And Paul explains how the Lord could do this in verse 21. He says, For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, Jesus Christ had no sin of His own which needed to be atoned for. So He was the only one who could offer Himself as atonement for the sin of His people. Jesus Christ is the only one who can stand before God and say, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods, but now forgive their sin and blot me out instead. And Jesus Christ spread out His arms and declared that. And those arms were nailed to an old wooden cross. And the sinless one bore our sin. And He paid for it. He offered Himself in our place. He said, look on Me and pardon them. Friends, Christ is the mediator 
that we need. He has come to forgive our idolatry. He has come to smash our golden calves. He has come to set us free from our idols, to liberate us from believing that we are victims and empower us to now live as victors. He has come to invite us into a restored relationship with the Lord. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. As Paul wrote, this is all recorded for us today that we might not make the same mistakes as Israel did. And so church, friends, from what idolatry do you need to repent and be forgiven? From the power and the sway of what golden calf do you need to be set free? From what victimhood do you need to be liberated that you might live now as a victor in the power of Jesus Christ. Friends, who is on the Lord's side? Let's pray. Father, we prayed before the sermon. Give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Lord, help us to cast down our idols. Turn our hearts away from those things that tempt us. And turn our hearts back to you. Set us free. Set us free. And may we live not as victims, but as victors daily in the transforming power of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.